Hey guys, it's Ben, and before we get started, I just want to say how much we appreciate everyone for listening. Your support means so much to us, and if you could just do us a huge favor and please share this Must Go Faster podcast with anyone in your life that may be into pop culture, whether it's movies, music, TV, any of the stuff we've talked about over the last year, probably most people you know have some kind of interest in one of those topics, so um Really encourage you to spread the word. Uh, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, etc. We also have, uh, you know, a Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Must Go Faster Pod. So please spread the word. It would be much, much appreciated. All right, now let's get into this episode. What's up, everyone? This is Must Go Faster, a pop culture podcast for the people. I'm your co-host, Ben Brailinger, broadcasting from Brooklyn. And out in Long Beach, California, tinkering with spare parts for a new hearing aid, I'm Robert Denfeld. So in this episode, we'll be reviewing a couple of new movies, like A Quiet Place, with yes. which uh, I Rob just referred made to. a very, very <laughs> slick reference to. Um, we'll also be talking about Andre the Giant, the new documentary uh, from HBO and Ringer Films, and as well as the sex comedy Blockers. Yes. Um, we'll also be chatting about some new albums from Jack White and the singer-songwriter Casey Musgraves. But first, let's talk about probably the hottest name in music right now, whether you love or hate her, there's kind of no denying it, but... <laughs> Cardi B. Cardi. It's Cardi B's world. Yes. We're, we're just, just living we're in just, it. We're uh, just occupants. Yes. So her debut, studio debut, major label debut album, Invasion of Privacy, mm-hmm. just dropped about two weeks ago. And it has kind of set the music pop culture world on fire, I would say, a bit. Oh, yeah. Um, Everybody's listening to it. So... Everybody, ben. let me uh, just give some quick. Yeah, yeah. My <laughs> grandmother is right, really right. into invasion. Big of fan. She loves. Big fan uh, of uh, Bardi. She loves Cardi. Cardi or Bardi. <laughs> <laughs> that one's really, yeah, really resonating with the elderly uh, <laughs> right. community. So, I just want to give some quick background um, on Cardi B. If you're unfamiliar with kind of her backstory, because I think it's pretty fascinating how she's gotten to this point. But yeah, she's from the Bronx. And I think her accent, you can hear like kind of her New York Bronx yeah, accent definitely. in a lot of her music. Yeah, it's still it's a big there. part of her sonic identity, yeah, it is. I would say. It is. She was a cast member on the VH1 reality show Love and Hip Hop New York. Okay. She was also a former stripper at one point. Uh-huh. And she and signed she'll be, to... A, she'll tell you only dancing. Oh, She's, yeah. She, yeah. she makes that very Did it clear. for the love of the dance. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then she signed with uh, Atlantic Records back in February of 2017. Uh-huh. And after last some, year... After some mixtapes. Sure. And then her debut single, Bodak Yellow. I've heard of it. number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 charts, making her the second ever female rapper to do so without a uh, solo output. Um, the, last, the only other female to do this was Lauryn Hill back in 1998. Uh, Bodak Yellow was one of the biggest, most culturally relevant songs of last year. Um, it was on, you know, Pitchfork called it its, you know, number one. I mean, it, it was on most 
blogs and critic yeah. circle publication and also yeah, just a top huge 10 hit, lists uh, etc commercially i think you had it in your honorable mention i did uh list in our in our best songs of last year pod yeah and that song was basically inescapable um and i want to say this album invasion of privacy which includes bodak yellow on it yeah this is much better than it it should have been i think and okay. it's, it's cliche to say it but this album, I think, proves that Cardi B is is here to stay. She's not a flash in the pan, definitely wonder. Right. Um, she's I think got that the was skill. everybody's worry after Bodak Yellow. It's like, is this for real? Is she is she gonna be able to come through with a a real you know good album, or is this just sort of a a one hit wonder, like you said? And I think this proves that she's here to stay, and it's it's legitimate. Mm-hmm. I will say, if you don't like aggressive in your face hip hop you'll absolutely hate this record i mean i'm not <laughs> this is not something i'm recommending you just oh all yeah. music fans will love this i mean but if you're right. i don't think your you're dad's into, gonna love this <laughs> right yeah yeah no that's not a <laughs> fan of the of the modern hip-hop genre but sure. uh, she's clearly a very skilled like street mc i mean the rhymes and flow on this record are tight yeah and i'm sure you know she had i, I do gotta hand it to her label atlantic i think they did a pretty uh-huh incredible job of developing her over the last two years. I mean, especially yeah. giving her background and pairing her with the right producers and, you know, helping, you know, on the branding and marketing side. Yeah. And kind I was going to say really, sort of managing her personality, which is very charismatic. And I think right. that's a big reason of why she's one of those people that's kind of like born to be famous. Like you see right. her on talk shows and it's just yeah. like, yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of meant to be in the spotlight. Yeah. And um, she's, she's created this persona for herself that carries through on the album and, uh, you know every appearance she makes on TV or interviews or whatever she she carries that through and uh, it it mm-hmm. is who she is on the album and in real life so yeah she's mm-hmm. she's just done a really good job of marketing herself yeah I think you know production wise I know we always especially me like really into the the nuances of the production I would say mm-hmm. you know it's obvious it's very modern it's very kind of like club made ready there's yeah. nothing in here a that lot of really samples put yeah that pushes the genre you know per se but it's it's not i don't know maybe her next album or you know it'll be interesting to see how her career evolves but um these are very like i saw someone like refer to it as like airtight like production which is yeah. a compliment definitely um and there's well, just, i would say i don't know oh, go ahead go ahead yeah, go, go 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 no i was gonna say it, i think it to to sort of counter your point of doesn't push the genre i think it does in in the sense of uh female rappers and and you know this is one of the the best uh, women rapping albums that I've ever heard, and I think mm-hmm. it's very like aggressive in that way. That a lot of yeah. a lot of male rappers uh, carry that persona through on their albums, and kind of it's like an attack album. You know, it's it's attacking mm-hmm. all of her haters and all of her competition, and she's constantly talking about like. I'm not afraid of yada yada or like come at me and you know, you can't see me or whatever, all this stuff, like all these cliches about like, I'm on the top of my game and you know, uh, all the, all the haters can't say anything. Uh, that, that's something that male rappers do all the time, but it's, it's a little bit new from, I mean, there are, there are female rappers that have done it, but I think this is maybe the best version of that. And so in that way, it kind of does push the genre a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. I I just think, I mean, I've listened to this album a lot over the last few weeks, and there's just a lot of good hip-hop songs on this. Yeah, I mean, totally. I don't know it's if you really have any, good. 
particular. Yeah. <laughs> you sound me. Yeah, like, <laughs> this is the hip, yeah. I'm, I'm the best fat rap albums is damn or something. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, no, I wouldn't. Maybe I, wouldn't, I don't know. I don't know. Right. I'm just throwing. I'm just lobbing hot take grenades. Yeah. So and I'm seeing what happens. No, like, how do you feel about it overall? Are, are you enjoying it? Do you like it song to song, or are there songs that you like more than others, uh, or are you skipping a lot of songs? How are you feeling, or how are you experiencing the album? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely listened it front to back a few times. And yeah. Of course, you know, yeah, this isn't like a front to back masterpiece, no skippable tracks. I mean, I think some of the ones that stand out to me, um, you know, I Do, which is the last track featuring SZA. Mm-hmm. I really like, uh, yeah, the beat, SZA's hook uh, in the chorus. It's very catchy. I could see that being a big song throughout the year. Mm-hmm. One that I know, and I'm going to throw this out to put on your radar for Song of the Summer Potential is... Uh, I like it like that. Oh, <laughs> sampling. Yeah, sampling. I think it's, it's, it's just, just called "I like it," but yeah, oh, it's like the it. sample. Yeah, yeah. I like it like that. Right, right, and that's that's just like a really fun, playful yeah. song that <laughs> you can just see being played at like barbecues that have maybe gotten oh, a yeah. little rowdy. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to mention that song actually with uh, and mention Cardi B's Instagram account, which is a pretty good follow. It's uh, at I am Cardi B. But uh, she's been posting since the album came out, and it's been really successful. And you know, everybody's listening to it and posting their videos, listening to it, etc. Uh, she's been like reposting people and you know shouting them out like thanks for the love or whatever. And uh, there's one with Snoop Dogg like just smoking this big blunt, of course, like he does in his studio and. Uh, just listening to I Like It, and he's just dancing, doing this selfie video, and it's just really yeah. funny. I, I recommend you watch that. <laughs> Good Snoop content. Right. <laughs> uh, I also, uh, Drip, featuring yeah. Migos. Migos. Just, ba- just banger. banger and a half. I mean, just <laughs> certified banger. Uh, I like Best Life as well, the, yeah. the track featuring Chance the Rapper. It's uh-huh. got a nice kind of understated beat it's feel good it's kind of a nice um you know in the mix of album where we said there's a lot of kind of in your face aggressive rap yeah. songs this is something that's a little more easy listening and, uh-huh. and, and kind of understated in a way so yeah same I like that ring, track a lot ring featuring yeah, kalani yeah. i think that's mm-hmm. a more mellowed out song on the album i think um the track through your phone uh-huh. uh has a good combination of her rapping and then also sing, like she's singing the hook in the chorus and i think she has kind of i don't know it's a nice showcase of her her vocals in terms yeah. of just being able to sing on courses yeah uh yeah and you know of course yeah the singles bodak yellow cartier barty's that uh-huh. or barty or barty cardi a cardi <laughs> yeah yeah featuring 21 that's all i mean that that's like yeah right who 21 i'm i just i just Whatever. don't get it I'm yeah sorry. Um, <laughs> right. but but yeah i mean those are those are kind of the ones that that stood out to me i will say Kind of my biggest criticism of this album is, I want to say there's over 500 instances on this record of her just saying like, "Cardi, you're right, right, Cardi, her I'm little, back. Cardi yeah, B. That, like that's just, that's her persona coming through." And it's, I mean, look, and it's also just like very traditional with like rap music and, and, sure. and especially when you're really trying to like still like reinforce your name and identity and, and like this is my coming out party like it right. makes sense but i want to say in every track i, I was kind of like all right we get it we know we know yeah maybe party. it won't be necessary on her next album but that's i mean that's just who she is right now and what she's trying yeah, to yeah. sell and portray so i mean I, I get it um i wanted to mention a few other songs that you haven't mentioned yet um the first song on the album is called get up 10 mm-hmm. and it starts out a little slow it's a little like choppy she's kind of just talking 
through this introduction, but then it gets into around like the 90 second, two minute mark. Uh, she just gets into this like really heavy Things flow. Turn up a little bit. Yeah. And it's really impressive. I mean, she's, she's a really good rapper, like, and, and she just, her flow is really solid. And I was a little worried when I first listened to the first few uh, songs off the album. And I was thinking it sounds a little bit choppy, like it's been overproduced and she's mm-hmm. just doing like a line at a time and they're cutting it all together. And so I was worried in that way, but then I saw her on SNL. She did that performance on SNL and she did the song be careful, which is another really good song on this album. And I mean, she just, she just flowed on stage for like two and a half minutes without stopping. It was great. Uh, with a pregnant, uh, she's pregnant. Right. That was her reveal. I was going to mention that she, she was wearing this really like classy white dress and it was just zoomed in on her face. And then as the song goes on, it pans down and reveals her pregnant belly and it was really like a cool way to come out to the public and say i'm pregnant and you know during a live performance on snl i thought that was pretty cool and and you know took a lot of guts um so yeah that song and then Moneybag uh later on in the album i think is a banger Isn't certified the hook, banger. yeah the hook is just like money bag money bag money bag oh yeah money bag yeah i know it's <laughs> yeah. just something i've been something saying that like <laughs> subconsciously over the past few days but uh and yeah and get up 10 she says i was just trying to chill and make bangers and that's just like a line that gets me hyped like when i hear that you know you're like whoo uh and uh bickin head well i like it's another song like i like it um that has a a sample oh, of a really popular song this is a three six mafia chicken head sample and is the, that the, the bok, chorus, bok chicken head? Yeah, it goes guap guap get some chicken, guap guap get some bread, and it's like it, <laughs> over the chicken head sample. I just like it; it's fun. Uh, she's like really John pl- Lennon, eat your heart out, <laughs> right? Right. Bob I know. Dilly, yeah, right. I know. I know. But she's playing the with the genre. Have come like she's you. she's homage. She's you know doing these homages and references to rap, like her influences, and uh, you know it, it makes it yeah. more relatable. She's our for age people. too. Or no, she's younger. She's like actually oh, she? she was born in like ninety two or something. Okay. Or? Okay. I well, saw she's yeah full so, blown millennial. Right. Right. I mean, even yeah, definitely, and it's 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 pretty wild. Yeah. We yeah. see her success and it is. Did you watch that SNL performance? Or did you watch that episode? I watched uh, not the performance you. I, I saw the other performance on SNL. I thought it was. I thought it was yeah. okay. I mean, it was. You know, that's an intimidating uh, stage to be on, and but she. You know, also it. in she rap, did a good like job. it depends. Yeah, like on you know a lot of your backing band and how all that's handled. But yeah, yeah, it was yeah, a good was promotion good. of the album, and um, okay. she did. She uh, the ADB. You know, uh, AD Bryant on SNL. And and she, they did this skit called ADB and Cardi B, and I just thought it was hilarious. So it just showed like she she does have some humor uh, built into you know her persona, and oh, she yeah, she recognizes definitely. that it's like a, a big goof kind of, and like she's she's her character is a little bit ridiculous, and I think it's cool that she can like accept that and just be be funny and and have this public persona that's not all serious and like. You know, she raps aggressively, but she seems like a pretty warm and kind and like generous person. Uh, so I, I I like that. It's it's rare and pretty cool. Um, and I also last thing I wanted to mention, she performed at Coachella last night. Did you did you notice that or see that? I I did I did I did see that. Yeah. she had kind she of was an calling earlier it Bochella. <laughs> yeah, well then Beyonce, which is Bachella, and that was right. like 
I mean, media was whatever on fire <laughs> about Beyonce. I mean, you know, yeah. That, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I love Beyonce, but yeah, people act like it was you know the uh, second coming of Tupac or I, you know, I don't yeah. know. Like, but anyway, uh, that's another. It wasn't that's Woodstock, a top for them. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, I did see that she made an appearance. I do want to say on this album. Um, the artwork I hate and I think is like horrible. Oh yeah, it's not great. Plastic looking, and I'm just not into it. <laughs> Literally plastic um, looking. Yeah, like I don't. I just I don't know. I just I don't know why they went that. You know, from an art direction perspective, went mm-hmm. down that route. And yeah, like we mentioned, um, I think Nicki Minaj earlier. We may have, but you know, it, it, you can't help but kind of make that comparison where you know Nicki, yeah. she is like regardless of what you think of her and I'm not necessarily a huge fan of hers, but she's the most successful female rapper ever, like numbers mm. wise. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of this narrative of, you know, her passing the baton over to Cardi B. Not that Minaj is retired and she actually just put out a couple of new tracks the other day, but okay, she's becoming kind of like, yeah, the it female rapper yeah. and kind of ushering in this era of like, okay, this over the next five, 10 years, like, is she going to be the dominant, uh, female force in, yeah. in hip hop and I mean we um, said she wasn't a one hit wonder just from this but I will I do kind of wonder how it's gonna last if, if she's gonna have this lasting impact in the culture or is it gonna be a you know a one hit wonder in an album sense you know is she gonna like the the follow up out the sophomore album is always the toughest yeah. I, I think with oh, rappers yeah. so you know they're kind of working their entire lives for that first album and then you know if it's good you have to repeat you know and do it again so i mean i'm sure she's gonna be on she's gonna be featured on a lot of rap songs in the next year or two as she's doing a tour for this album and she's gonna obviously have her child soon so she's gonna have some time off there but uh Mm -hmm. yeah it'll be interesting to see how she follows this up yeah definitely so let's um let's switch gears stay in the music lane but uh we're gonna we're gonna cross genres a bit and talk about uh, Jack White's latest release, uh, Boarding House Reach. Rob, do you want to give some quick background and takes on this on this yeah. record? I know we have a few <laughs> takes percolating. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting you say switch genres because I'm not exactly sure how to classify this album genre-wise. It's sort of uh, an anomaly. It's definitely um, not hip hop, but no, it even has no. a little bit of those elements. But it's not. It's it's kind of its its I own mean, thing. I, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I wrote down. I, so this album, let me introduce it quickly. It's called uh, Boarding House Reach and came out March 23rd uh, from Third Man Records, which is Jack White's uh, sort of record label in, in uh, I believe it's in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, Nashville-based. I've been yeah. to where it's, it's based. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, I have a few vinyls from there. But um, yeah, so it's the third solo album um, as Jack White as a solo artist uh, following Blunderbuss in 2012 and Lazaretto or Lazaretto in 2014. So it's been a, a, f- a good four-year period since his last album. And you can tell listening to this album that he's been experimenting instrumentally a lot and trying to you know explore some new, new sort of uh, instrumentation and new genre technique stuff um i i classify this album i called it poppy jazz funk like it's it is sort of guitar piano rock based but it it's very like space poppy in a way and uh definitely very experimental and has you know funky melodies and instrumentation so i i texted you a few hours ago as we were preparing for this episode and i was like I'm not sure. I'm trying to decide to if I like this album. Um, 
I don't dislike it, but I'm I'm not sure that I love it. Uh, it's definitely worth it's listening to. It's kind of a to. tough hang. Yeah, it is kind of a tough hang. But there are some songs that that are like you know pretty melodic in a way, but it's kind of like funky and and jazzy and spacey, as I mentioned. But uh, it is it is like entertaining in a way for you know music wise. Definitely, it's yeah, weird. it's not boring. Right, it's, it's just very like. I think I saw someone say like overstuffed, which yeah. is an interesting maybe tried too many you know, things juxtaposition. You know the White Stripes, you know during their uh, glory, yeah, they were you know made kind of their trademark sound based off this very like stripped down, just like yeah. distorted guitar and drums, drums and very, guitar like, primal and primal. So, you yeah. know, and this is like, I mean, you can just tell he spent a lot of time in the studio tinkering. Maybe too much with time. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Maybe yeah, maybe you just take us you know step for fresh air and you know right. collect your thoughts when you're making this album because yeah i mean there's a lot of interludes and i like a lot of um i mean i think he is like a really innovative artist and musician totally. and overall I'm a, I'm a fan of his and yeah on this on this record in particular like i do dig uh how experimental he gets with the guitar and production like messing around with just different volumes and amplifiers and just uh-huh. like ways of playing the guitar right. and different styles and and maybe like the um, same instrument in different, uh, different, you know, settings and tones and different, uh, feels that they can deliver. Yeah. He does find new ways to make like a guitar sound like new, or new yeah. is, is good at just like uncovering. Well, he has that signature guitar, guitar sound. sound. It's like the Jack white, uh, you know, mm-hmm. white stripes sound still, it's still there. It's still the underlying like signature thing that Jack white delivers, but it's, it's done in like a very, different and experimental way this this album and I, you can't say that he's not exploring and trying new things as an artist which you have to respect and it's cool that it's not just like a typical uh, you can't even say nothing that he's done is typical but um you know he kind of had that like folksy rock uh singer songwriter vibe going and this this is kind of a break from that so mm-hmm. i appreciate it in that way yeah, I think um, a few standout tracks for me, like over and over and over. I think that just like really moves. It's got a great like main guitar riff. Yeah, uh, the opening to Corporation mm-hmm. reminds me of like something from like Led Zeppelin. It has like this kind yeah. of anthemic. Like it, I, I kind of reminded me of like almost like the immigrant song in the beginning mm. with the drums. Mm. Um, the guitar solo and why walk a dog um oh yeah a that's a really philosophical yeah uh, but just the way that guitar sounds i mean that's just yeah. like a perfect example of just like how did he get it to sound that way uh-huh. um ice station zebra that's great i song love that name. one yeah i have no ice station zebra i mean <laughs> not sure what like it's mad, about but i love it <laughs> salad mad libs whatever yeah. man um has a really nice opening groove then it goes into like this i have written down like double bass almost like metal groove then into like mm. jazz and back mm-hmm. into rock like in the span of like 20 seconds yeah so really kind of that's kind of a microcosm of the whole album in a yeah way. that song uh get in the mind shaft is very and and corporation which you mentioned they're almost entirely instrumental and just really funky and uh jazzy which i appreciate so i enjoy those songs um i don't know how like re-listenable it is like i'm glad i listened to it all the way through and you know i i generally enjoyed it but i don't know if i'm gonna be like in my car saying oh i really want to put that album back on you know it's <laughs> it's not like you said it's not an easy hang uh it's yeah. it's a lot to take in um but i never wanted to turn it off which is 
you know, a lot of albums you listen to, you're like, after a few songs, if it's not hitting for you, you're you're just out, you know? And yeah, on. this one I listened to all the way through and generally enjoyed. So that's, I mean, that's something. Um, I wanted to mention... Oh, I was go ahead. Say the the riff and I think the track's called "Respect Commander." Oh yeah, it's just it's just a uh, an instance of like you can always count on Jack White when all else fails to so just bust out just like a gnarly face melt melting high voltage <laughs> riff that just yeah. I think the way that that the opening riff in that song is just like it's killer. You know? Yeah, he's still a sick guitar player. And then it, but the last song on the album, this is the last thing I have is. Is called this uh, humoresque is the song title name, um, mm-hmm. and it's basically a lullaby. Like there's no other way yeah. to describe it beyond it's a lullaby and like a very uh, slow like songwriter uh, just you know mellowed out song that's you know put you to sleep and I think it's made with that purpose. So I, it's I mean it's a it's a wide ranging album that has a lot to take in, but it's. You know, I've I've seen some Jack White fans. Like I, I thought of uh, Kyle Holiday. I saw he tweeted like, oh, yeah. uh, shout out to Holiday if you're listening. Yeah, yeah. I hope he is. Uh, he's like, I hate this album or whatever. And <laughs> I know he's a big White Stripes fan, so yeah, I, I was kind of biased by that think going in. But I, I think I enjoyed it a little more than he did. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's a tough album. Mm-hmm. I do want to say to uh, the album art. I mean, I'm kind of just trashing album art in this episode. <laughs> yeah, but that that's some that's some lame ass. Could have been better. I, I don't know what is. I mean, it's like a floating head, gothic mannequin, female yeah. head in the blue. I, I just come on, do a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, if you're, you're going to spend four years making the album, like <laughs> spend four hours on the art. <laughs> well said. So that is Jack White's Boarding House Reach, and uh, to round off our music talk in this episode, we're going to go to another genre and talk about Casey Musgraves and her new album, Golden Hour, which is, this is the most country we've ever gotten on the pod. Yeah, And I want to say, I'm not, when people ask me like, oh, what kind of music do you listen to? I generally say like, I listen to everything, but country, you know, I mean, obviously there are exceptions, you know, Johnny Cash, Skinner, you know, I I respect kind of like the Godfathers, but like, you know, when you're talking pop country, I mean, that Mm. stuff is just utter garbage to me. (laughs) Me But this album... Golden Hour. This is their third studio album. It was released a few weeks ago. Casey Musgraves, she's Nashville-based, born in 88, our age. Oh, yeah. Um, This is a lovely record. I just it really is. love the simplicity of the songwriting. It doesn't yes. try to do too much at all. Yeah. Start comparison with uh, Jack White's Boarding House. Right. Like, this right. is like polar opposite. This is kind of one-dimensional. Like, yeah, but in like the in best a good way. way. Yeah. Um, the melodies and harmonies are just so good. Her vocals are beautiful. Just the right amount of country twang for someone who doesn't like country. I and just kind of like country, you know, touches. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> are yeah, you reading right, from right, my right, notes, Ben? <laughs> right, right. Um, Butterflies and Wonder Woman. Yeah. Um, you know, just two great songs. Like two of my favorite songs of the year. Just delightful. The whole album is good. It's very cohesive. Mm-hmm. It just it sounds like it was recorded in just like kind of this pristine Nashville studio with like the best session musicians. Totally. Um, the vocals are and, very like prevalent and and heavy on the on the track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just I don't know, like this it gives me like you know just southern summer vibes. Just yeah. these Airy pop songs. Right. And, it makes me want to have a cold beer like out by a grill. 
oh yeah and get like a barbecue stain on yeah t-shirt <laughs> on my white t-shirt yeah and, no, yeah isn't that a that's like a yeah that's song. like a um, that's like a tim mcgraw song or something all right that's enough country <laughs> i'm a little i'm a little uh <laughs> right. flustered by this um you know last time i felt this way about a quote-unquote country album was um sturgill simpson's a sailor's yeah. guide to earth which came yeah. out a few years ago and just, i like that album it was almost too. like more like folk bass but right. again had you know the vocals had a country twang and yeah some of the instrumentation had that so it's kind of like part of the genre but i really love that album and and this album as well it's just really accessible and i would recommend this to almost like everyone this is just everyone great yeah. yeah yeah i i fully agree it's singer songwriter in the in the country you know, subgenre. I would say it, it's right on the edge of a little bit too twangy for my taste, but it's it never gets to be like over you know over the edge of uh, full country. It still still has that like poppy feel to it. Um, and like you said, it's really cohesive, and you kind of like it's so mellow and laid back that it puts you in this like relaxed mood. That uh, I listened to it uh, recently on a car ride back home and. I kind of like forgot that it was on after a few songs and it was just like really relaxing and you know that's a nice nice quality to an album um it's it's kind of hard to find um mm-hmm. I, I have to say the first song slow burn the very first line or two lines of the album are born in a hurry always late haven't been early since 88 and I was like mm. oh oh sh- you got me. Like I'm, <laughs> right. I'm in. Check, checkmate. <laughs> Sold. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, I don't have much else to say about it. It's it's highly enjoyable, like easy listening and you know, really good singer songwriter stuff. If you like any country or folk or, you know, like western southern music, uh it, it's it's but even just punches, like punches all the boxes. If you just like like acoustic pop music, like acoustic totally. guitar driven pop music, like yeah, female really... vocalist. Delig that dig delig this dig this delig this yeah. um and I, I yeah I want to say if this uh if this episode does improve our our range of tastes and music going from <laughs> yeah. B to Jack Waite to Casey Musgrave I'm not sure what will so right right um we listen to it all this was, yeah 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 absolutely can you recommend any good jazz albums for the people right yeah obscure jazz surf funk um, right here right. you go so I, think I have one there for you right right. Let's cross the aisle into yeah. the cinematic realm. Movies. And let's, Our let's, favorite. let's review A Quiet Place, which has become a bit of a phenomenon, and I yeah. know we're really excited to chat about it. Yeah. So uh, this came out, what, two weeks ago? Uh, two Fridays ago. Um, and it's I think it was first in the box office two weeks ago and, it was. and second in the box office this past week. Um, and this is directed by John Krasinski. It's this 90-minute, 92-minute thriller. Uh, I wouldn't classify it as horror. I think it's more of like a suspense. Yeah, I think it's more of a suspense thriller uh, in a I way. Would, it's Yeah, it, it is interesting because there are definitely horror elements. Sure. Um, there's, no, there's not really any gore. I mean, I was actually surprised. Right. It's like, PG-13. Oh, damn, was, yeah, PG-13. I was like, yeah. I guess it makes sense. Like, there was no... No cursing or sex scenes are like right. really violent, but it's yeah, it has the intensity of an R-rated movie. <laughs> yeah, they probably pushed it to the edge of how much blood they can show. I'm sure they had to like cut some things to make it, you know, get that PG-13 rating. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, 
the very beginning of the movie, I, I think we should go no spoilers for this, even though it's been out for two weeks. You know, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but mm-hmm. uh, the very beginning, the scene with the young boy and the rocket ship, um, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I thought that that scene, that moment, yeah, kind of established the the jump scares for the for the rest of the movie. And like the rules, the rules of the movie, you know. Yes, like, yeah, and, the, the no noise. It it just established everything with this really cool, effective opening. It's not cool and it's very sad and tragic, but um, it is. Um, you know, it, it's a very well shot. You know, you see this creature for like. 15 frames you know and it's like really effective it's like it's like oh man like it it makes you jump and that kind of establishes the way that you're going to see the creature for the rest of the movie and it just it puts you on edge and makes you anticipate things in a way that that sets up jump scares throughout the rest of the movie and that in that sense like that's why I think it's more of a thriller and suspense because you're kind of just suspended the whole time waiting for the next jump scare and but it's not like horrific it's just sort of like oh you know like it gets you you know you make makes you jump and like grab your legs so yeah when you're spending so like the use of silence i mean of course what everyone's mostly talking about with this movie is this in theater experience where there are these really long stretches of little to no dialogue and when there is that it's whispered i mean there's like one scene of like audible dialogue (laughs) um and this has never been done before in the Uh modern era and yeah, so when, you know, they use silence in this way that when there are these loud noises, it really, it really throws hits. you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like a visceral reaction, you know, and right. I... Um, and it's really effective. Sure. And, it, and could using, have, it could have been mishandled and, like, misdirected, but I think everything worked, and you're just in that place for the full 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. I want to quickly say, I mean, I imagine most people that listen to this pod have seen this movie by now, but... The quick logline for this is a fam. It's like post-apocalyptic. Um, I think we. It starts on like day eighty-nine since right. you know, the incident, and then and moves it's quickly this, to like four hundred seventy-five or whatever. Right. It's this family of four that's forced to forced to live in silence while hiding from creatures that hunt by sound. That's all you need to know. Right. John Krasinski, Emily Blunt, star. They have really good chemistry then again they are married they so are married if they, right if they they have an, a leg up um, there's essentially <laughs> right. four people total in this i mean 99 percent. Mm-hmm. and i don't think i don't think that's a spoiler i mean just a very like isolated contained story right the imdb cast literally lists only seven people yeah. um yeah so and, and it has um uh, millicent simmons uh-huh i think that's how you As pronounce the, Millicent. The daughter. I yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> so she's, yeah, and she's actually deaf in, in real life. And I think this yeah. is her second role. And um, she played, you know, she's deaf in the movie and is, is really good and has a pivotal, pivotal role in kind of like the plot development. But um, yeah. were you, how was your theater experience? Like, were you in a mm. well-behaved theater? I was, uh, was generally. That? Yeah, that's an interesting thing with this movie because if you have a, a theater that's like, talkative or you know there's a lot of like sour patch kids going on and and, yeah yeah, like a bunch of crunching or like outside snacks that make too much noise um it it can take away the room wants to hear your reactions right right like yeah exactly but i think generally from what i've been hearing and uh, you know people that i've talked to that have seen it people are really behaving in this and it's that's what i that's what i mean about it's so effective like it puts you in that world where 
you don't want to like recline your chair because the the sound of your chair reclining is so loud yeah. because the the theater is totally silent and on edge and you know I, my stomach at one point started to grumble like i had just eaten this big dinner and my stomach was Everyone making was like, noises Whose stomach was and that? i was like Shut your i was up. like please no not now you know like <laughs> right, right. everyone's gonna look Sorry. over here uh, yeah, yeah so it's really it's a fun experience to go to the theater like I highly recommend it if you haven't gone out to see it yet. Definitely make it to the theater for this one before it hits, you know, Redbox or whatever. Um, it's not going to be the same at home. Like, you'll, you'll still enjoy the movie, but part of the fun of it is the fact that you're sharing this experience with all these people that are on edge. And you can just, you can almost, like, feel the tension in the theater. And, and that's what makes the movie even more, you know, tense and effective. Yeah, I had a very good theater experience. I was a little nice. worried going into it. Um, but yeah, it was overall, nobody was chewing anything of any <laughs> yeah. sort, yeah. which I was pleasantly surprised <laughs> Pipe by. Pipe down over there. Yeah. Right. You're going right. to get us all I can, killed. <laughs> I can be a stickler, um, right. you know, with with people. <laughs> I mean, not. I, yeah. I've never actually, I've fantasized over 200 times saying something to someone i've never actually done oh i've said oh like, i have powered yeah i've said things before the fantasy in my mind i i have like wild fantasies of like turning in just like what i would say and right. how it would all go but i just you're like, talking i with, always you're talking with becky afterwards my, you're like i would have said this <laughs> like, right right and it would have shut the whole place up yeah. um anyway though but very yeah good theater experience for me it sounds like you had the same which is great yeah um you know, I want to say the script, which I think is one of the strongest parts of the movie. Like, just mm -hmm. imagine reading this script for the first time. And, right. And just explaining, be like, yeah, no, this is all, like, whispered, and, and there's barely yeah. any talking. And um, You'd almost know, have to storyboard it before you write it, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? It's, it's like all pictures. And it's, uh -huh. it is, it is like, a classical. It's almost the silent film in that way. And, uh, I mean, obviously, it uses audio, but uh, not a lot of dialogue. So, it... it uh, clearly I'm sure Krasinski watched a lot of silent films in preparation for directing this and, and that really comes through. Um, and yeah, I mean a few things about a few like tiny nitpicks I had, um, the nail, you know what nail I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, the effing nail. I, I don't was, think, uh... right. I don't think we needed the pan down and hold on the nail for the second time. You know, like, she snags the laundry bag on the nail, and then it plays a part in a later scene. We didn't need the little pan down after that and then, like, holds the camera on it for three seconds. That was just a little a little heavy-handed, and I feel like Krasinski, I've heard this criticism from other people, and I felt it when I was watching it. I was like, ooh, we don't need that. Like, mm. we, we're smart enough as an audience to pick up on the fact that it's there and that it, you know, you see it later on with Emily Blunt, but, um, yeah, I think maybe Krasinski might regret the, that little hold. It's a tiny nitpick, but, uh, I do love how they didn't kept going back to it. And, you know, when Emily Blunt steps on the nail, it was one of those times oh, where I gasped, you know, I, I could not, could not, you know, keep my eyes on the screen. You, you know, oh, you do man. that look where you're sitting in a movie theater and you look like yeah. down and you're like, ooh. And I, and I look over oh. and my, my friends, John and Zach, who were beside me, they were doing the exact same thing, just like looking down and like everyone yeah. was just like squirming. Um, yeah. I just love that whole sequence though with the pregnancy and like the red lights oh, that man. are turned on and how her all acting, the characters. Her acting during that entire sequence was a 20. Like I've oh, never yeah, yeah. seen such 
great facial expression. She's, yeah, she's a star for sure. Yeah, um, she's so good. And just yeah, all the characters. It was just like tension on tension on tension on tension. Right. You know, it was just like expertly built. Um, and the anticipation of them making noise, you were like cringing. You know, like when the kid knocks over the little lantern and it makes that loud noise, you're like, oh no! And you know, like just yeah, that yeah. anticipation was so well done. Um, and it's obviously a movie about like how far parents are willing to go to protect their children, like in the in the most, you know, unique and critical circumstances, how the the maternal and paternal instincts take over. And it's all about like survival. And so it was really like a fascinating movie from that perspective. And uh, I, I wanted does, to mention. Um, oh, go ahead. I was going to say to that point, it does a really good job, I think, of spending time on character. Like, yeah, you do care about this family and their survival. Definitely. Like that could have been very disposable. Like they could have just relied on like, oh, we had this amazing gimmick and we're going to be really effective about it. But right. they did it even, you know, without having much spoken dialogue. Like, I guess that's a testament to, you know, the acting and the casting. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. it was you cared about the family survival, which I think is a big reason why this movie like i haven't heard anyone that wasn't like really into it and i think a big reason was because like you cared about the family in a way and right and it's it's little things like showing krasinski looking at the the little box like shoe box he kept for his son you know like reflecting Mm -hmm. on that and just little things and the way they are like preparing the baby baby bed or baby what is that called carriage um you know making Mm -hmm. it cry proof and soundproof and just little things like that really Baby. made you feel for it. livable coffin oh <laughs> man like, i wanted to mention a couple shots yeah. Yeah, yeah uh when the creature is in the house and slides underwater when when oh, Blunt is like yeah, holding yeah. the baby I was, by the way we're I going um, we're doing some body spoilers chill. here yeah I yeah to, I, right so maybe maybe turn off or skip to the next topic if you don't want to be i think we can like okay. say a few of these things so yeah but that is I a guy I, I forgot that. about that i forgot oh about my god that. I, I got i remember i think body i chills <laughs> i i like laughed with <laughs> right because it's so <laughs> scary <laughs> yeah, yeah going into the water yeah th- those are moments of like sheer like terror i know you said yeah. like, it's more of a thriller and i guess i would agree with that but there are a lot of like horror elements and i, I want to give props to the effects department on these creatures because oh, cgi yeah. was mostly good uh-huh. would have been an easy thing to not get right most movies don't get it right um right. they the design and the you know bringing them to life digitally and how they did yeah. them I, I was impressed it never um, took you out of it you're it's always believable yeah and it was like you know i you know that's kind of that rule of thumb of like the less you see you know mm. less is more specifically in like the horror thriller genre but i thought even when you did they showed more and more of the creatures like it didn't um let up you know the tension in a way i think yeah. it, almost, it only increased yeah i also loved um one other element really enjoyed was you only got hints um you know from the outside world oh, like yeah. the only hints almost were nothing. kind of these newspaper headlines right. i remember like trying to like scan all of them as much as oh, they're yeah. pretty some pretty funny headlines. like it's sound and you can see like right. the development of like the world figuring out how these creature creatures operate. Right. Um, it's sound. This is our last uh, issue. <laughs> right. And we're out of, yeah, right. It's, yeah, yeah. You never, yeah, yeah. And I think, um, so yeah, and we didn't get any that. backstory about the creatures either. It was all just what we saw yeah. in front of us. And we didn't right, need right. that. And it was so short and tight and, and concise that that was really awesome. And, I know you loved the last shot of the movie. It it maybe mm. set up a sequel potentially, but yep. 
uh, it was very like cool that, and, that and like yeah fulfilling for that character the little totally. cock of the shotgun um and the last thing i wanted to mention was the two kids uh when they're on their own toward the end and they're they're stuck in that corn or, or uh grain silo and they're kind of like you know being attacked by this creature and and then they get uh stranded together in that truck those were those were like clear homages to Jurassic Park for me. Oh yeah, of uh, course. And I, which same thing I appreciate. Popped in my head. Yeah, in the yeah, truck yeah. especially. That's like clearly totally. Uh, sh- you know, that's taken. Two other mo- movies that this Quiet Place reminded me of in in, in a variety of ways. So uh-huh. Signs. Oh, which yeah. I had heard like early Shyamalan. I'm I ride for Signs <laughs> to my death. Like it's gonna be on my tombstone. Yeah. Like. Thought Signs was one of the 25 best it's movies behind. ever. You know, I love Signs. And just the emphasis on uh, family, the corn, you know, out in the cornfield, some of the totally. camera movements, right. isolation, little Small known town backstory. USA. Totally. Um, Jurassic Park, you mentioned. I want to shout out Home Alone. Yeah. Marv stepping on the nail. I yeah. want to say that this was in Krasinski's <laughs> mind when he wrote this. And I, I hope. Just, I'm, I'm all in for that. One can hope. Um I will say, you know, you mentioned a few a few small critiques. Yeah, some of the, you know, plotting was a bit silly. There's gaps in logics. Like, there was a few, you know, times after the movie where we were like, well, couldn't they have just done this and got out? You know, like, sure. but, you know, you got to suspend your, your you know, your, your disbelief a bit. Um, yeah. I, I would say it was, it was in the moment scary, but not something where afterwards it was really, like, lingering. That's exactly um, what I wrote down as well. Like, I, oh, leaving yeah, the yeah. theater, leaving the theater, I wasn't terrified or, you know, I wasn't, like... like afraid of my walk home that night it was all right. it was all like contained to that experience when we see like hereditary in a month like i right. imagine that that's a nightmares movie right yeah. Yeah, yeah like that <laughs> that will haunt my year um, <laughs> yeah so um one one hypothetical question i wanted to quickly ask you that i sure. thought of is like if you had to live this kind of life in pure mm. silence hiding mm. from monsters that are hunting by any sound you might make what would you say would be the hardest part of your day just think about like your daily routine Mm. and i have Mm. like a few things in mind i mean a lot i mean everything would be difficult um Mm. i do a lot of dishes (laughs) so (laughs) and i really love doing dishes (laughs) yeah i mean you know they're just going to be dirty forever that's that's tough to deal with my Um, alarm my alarm is extremely loud i'm a deep sleeper (laughs) right you would the alarm would go off like 10 a.m every day The alarm would go off. You wouldn't wake up because you're a deep yeah. sleeper. And within a minute, you would just be like, just slaughtered. In right, second. right. You know, like it would just be. <laughs> yeah. That's actually, like you would not Alicia survive. Alicia Keys, no one, dead. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think like not showering, not being able yeah. to wear shoes. Like, I don't know. Those sure. things like that would be. I know you like tough. a, you like um, a good shoe. Right, right. Yeah. Shoes <laughs> are nice. Um, I guess the last thing I wanted to say quickly, and we can this is like a full, like fully blown talk, but I do want to point out, I was reading a uh, Sean Fennessy, the ringer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote a piece about kind of this resurgence of horror. And it was, you know, the catalyst for this was the success of a quiet place and said, you know, only two movies last year made more than 50 million opening weekend that mm. weren't based on pre-existing property. And those were right. Coco and Dunkirk. Mm. A quiet place has already done that this year. And nice. the horror genre last year represented nearly 9% of all movie tickets sold. Nice. An all-time high. And you know, yeah. the thing about horror movies, like, they're cheap to make, they're easy to sell, it's mm-hmm. this fun communal experience, and if it's an original idea that an audience is craving, I mean, right. studios will see huge returns in their Definitely. investments. So I think you're just yeah. going to be seeing, you know, 
studios like Blumhouse and A24, you I know, and I think you're just going to see like original uh, yeah. ideas for horror movies. And yeah, they're trying it, new it, things. Like it's a business, you know, at the end of the day, it's movies, it's a business and studios right. want to, you know, invest money that they're going to see return. And I think horror yeah. we're seeing, you know, over and over again, I think they're in a really like healthy spot right now as a genre. Definitely. Some of the most creative, uh, you know, thought-provoking original content is coming in this genre and there is that built-in audience of people that see every horror movie that comes out or anything that looks decent so you know you you know there's some a minimum amount of money that it's gonna make and you know it's gonna do fairly well if it's decent at all so yeah i fully agree what was your what's your final final rating on this oh um i hadn't given it one but i will say since since we've been talking about eighty eight a lot, uh, I'll I'll say an eight point eight, like right Whoa. right there under a four point five out of five. Um, you know, eight point eight. Yeah, Very I high. really liked it. Yeah, I had it eight point five. Nice. Maybe maybe I'm I don't know. Maybe it should be higher. I don't know. It'll be no, interesting no. to see. That's, like I, this there. wouldn't this wouldn't shock me if you know we're doing our ten best of the year. And uh, yeah, I know you're already stressing out thinking about uh, <laughs> right. best of twenty eighteen, but. Uh, could it could we could be revisiting this one? So, yeah. uh, Quiet Place, hundred percent, go see this in the theaters if you haven't. It's mm-hmm. an awesome wild ride. So, uh, yeah, let's let's move on and hit on two other movies. Uh, you know, we'll do like you know, hit on them. You know, we're not gonna dive deep, but yeah, quickly. wanted to talk about the Andre the Giant documentary. Yes, from Grenoble in the French Alps. Four hundred seventy-seven pounds, the eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant. He's stronger than all of us. He's bigger than all of us. Oh, Andre the Giant off the top turnbuckle. He kept everybody in line. He was the guy. He was famous on a different level. Literally the biggest celebrity in the world. So this was. The first collaborate official collaboration between Ringer Films and HBO, our boy yeah. Bill Simmons, yep. you know, kind of taking Produced his it. thirty for thirty expertise, and, mm-hmm. and now instead of ESPN, he's gonna lead kind of this HBO sports, you know, rollout of of you know next level HBO sports documentaries, and right. you know, I think pretty much everyone knows Andre the Giant. He was this mythical but very real human being, professional yeah. wrestler throughout the seventies and eighties. One of his nicknames was the Eighth Wonder of the World, which uh-huh. I enjoy. Um, yeah. He was like a result of na- like I just kind of see him like he's like the Grand Canyon, like yeah, he just wasn't human form. Like this guy yeah. was just like this incredible result of just nature. Um, yeah. Vince McMahon in the documentary in one of the interview pieces, he goes, "You could just kind of tell Mother Nature had done something special here, <laughs> right? And, you know, yeah, yeah. It's it's." You know, his size, I think I I have seven feet, four inches, nearly 500 pounds, Mm -hmm. 22 size boot. I think it was seven one. I think the seven seven one. Well, the seven four thing was like part of the myth. I think it was more accurate. Only seven one. So let's let's calm down here. And his hand was like the size of most people's skull. He was like famous. He was famous for putting his hand over people's faces and it just like completely swallows (laughs) their head. (laughs) If he put my hand over my face, like my my <laughs> my, my face would just like disintegrate. Ben, I'm, where'd I'm you go? <laughs> yeah. Right, like I would be like in I don't know. That would have been the end of me. He'd um, crush you like a worm. <laughs> right. So That's I so- yeah I like I like this doc. Um, a few things that stood out to me: the opening sequence 
showing kind of the old photos of how he grew up as an adolescent, tracking like his size progression yeah, over time. In the like French he didn't Alps. really hit this until, you know, when he was a teenager and those that uh-huh. black and white footage of him learning how to wrestle is like pretty yeah, that was staggering cool. watch. Almost like yeah. I was almost like disturbed watching it. I don't know, sure. like it was in silence and black and white and you're just seeing this guy, he almost looks like an an alien. I mean it just it's so such an unusual sight. Um, yeah, but, the guy the uh, guy was just like climbing on top of him, and he just sort of like throws him off. Like yeah, he's a and little, he has the like, smile on toy. his face. And, yeah. Right. Um, I thought there was a great, you know, just overall, like, great use of archive footage. Um, oh, yeah. You know, just from the past. They really they really did an A-plus job on that. Um, and it was really and, concise. The whole story was so tight, and, and yeah. just, you can tell, and I've listened to the interview with Bill Simmons, and the director uh, Jason Heyer and and mm-hmm. uh, our boy Sean Finnessy and they talked a lot about how difficult it is to make a documentary tight and short and you know straight to the point, but yeah. pack in pack in all of the storytelling elements and you know archival footage and interviews shots and you know really tell the story without a narrator, which is tough in a documentary form. But you you kind of have to coax out the answers from people that that tell the story um and I, I just i was impressed by how quick it was and it really is a movie it's not you know one of those documentaries that drags on for three hours um you know those those have their place too and i enjoy those um notably i watched recently the gary shandling um documentary on hbo also which is mm-hmm. four plus hours and that's just like it just kind of uh you know it's like a dichotomy between different storytelling techniques like uh showing everything and showing a lot of like background footage and extended interviews or do you want to make this like a movie theater documentary experience where it's tight and you know well told and you pack in a lot of stuff but you do you know it breaks your heart to cut stuff out and i think they did a really good job of that yeah totally i think another moment that struck me in this doc was you know this is 70s 80s there's no internet or or cable for that matter Mm -hmm. and it you you understand like how much of a moment it was to just see him for the first time in person it was like this you don't massive word of mouth like you got to see this guy in person like he i I don't have any photographs of him or anything but like trust me you have to see him and i thought that was cool and you know another thing some of this wrestling particularly in the 70s before like the hulk hogan era like how much of this was fake because mm. a lot of this looks pretty real and like her, I know it's all like hey, stage entertainment, but I, there's I don't a reason know. I, it's such a huge industry. It's right. Right. Man. Yeah. 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 It was, I, I just thought it looked, it looked pretty physical. Like, I mean, yeah. I know like, I guess ultimately like it was stage and people weren't getting hurt, but I was just like, Oh man, I, I would not, even though I, I would not get in the ring with, yeah. with a 10 foot pole. Um, yeah. Well, it, and this this um documentary really highlights like the human experience of these wrestlers like they are it's a really difficult lifestyle they're traveling constantly they're beating each other up every night and you know drinking you know Andre the Giant's famous for drinking 100 plus beers in one sitting and all these myths the greatest part drinker of, who ever lived right it's part of his lore you know and and yeah. i'm sure all wrestlers kind of uh do their drug of choice to maintain their their uh you know health in a way like just to get through to the next day um it's a lot of pain they go through and and the travel obviously is difficult for someone as huge as andre the giant they they touched on that in the documentary just the struggles of everyday life that he dealt with and 
you know, so much pain, so much physical and emotional pain, you know, he was, even though he was so famous, he was constantly being made fun of and, and put down by people like in the airport, you know, they did that little, that montage of him like traveling and, and just talking about how people would react to him in person if they weren't, you know, if you saw him in the ring, like he is Andre the Giant, but out in the airport or traveling through the country, he's Andre Rusimov, this giant figure and people kind of, uh, you know, don't know how to respond to it. So I thought the human element to the story was really, really well handled. And I, I really felt for the guy. Totally. I want to say, you know, his drinking, I, I do want to point out, apparently he had a 24 beer minimum after each match. <laughs> right. Which, and then again, you know, at that size, you need, you need a 24 to feel any kind of buzz. Yeah. The I'm last time gonna, I did that was at up. beach week and I almost died. <laughs> <laughs> That's just another night for Andre the Giant. Right. Um, Sorry, mom. Ric Flair, his mind is law, you know, it's on another planet. I just <laughs> right. thought it was a pretty, pretty clear display of that, which I enjoyed. Um, you know, the dog, it's also about, you know, the evolution and history of wrestling, which I'm yeah. not, you know, particularly interested in. I don't think either of us, but it's necessary to provide context. And it does going to go off, you know, Hulk Hogan is probably the second biggest figure in it. Mm-hmm. And they do a nice job of like tying his importance into like Andre's final match at WrestleMania. And my, right. The most gripping part of the doc for me was one of that his final climaxes. Yeah, yeah, and like just the buildup of like the music and the commentary during the match right. and the narrative arc of like how Hogan like comes back like his arms dead and then yeah. it goes up and I was like there was, was a small cool. part of me that was like damn I kind of miss wrestling you know like yeah, yeah. wrestling used to be like, I mean growing up when I was you know in elementary school and you know I I was into it you know during mm-hmm. the rise like everyone else and it's still like insane how well the industry is still doing i mean i definitely i owned a long sleeve tee of goldberg so you know i'm not gonna judge people that are into wrestling (laughs) now but um not something that i'm gonna spend time on now (laughs) yeah and the people that are coming out of wrestling like the rock i mean he's he you'd say he's the biggest movie star in the world right now and john cena john cena yeah yeah yeah, i'm gonna mention in a second was in in blockers um Mm. yeah i mean they they kind of transcend wrestling in a way if you're if you're good and you can you know have other talents you're you set up with this built-in audience of of wrestling fans and yeah, I mean, it's remarkable that the the WrestleMania three match with Hulk Hogan you mentioned was in 1987. I think it was in March of 87. Uh, I wanted to ask you, like, how was Andre the Giant for you as a kid? Like, I was so aware of him, but his whole career happened before I was even born. But yeah. he was still he was still this figure in my eyes. And obviously, like the Princess Bride helps with that. He mm-hmm. had the role as the giant in the Princess Bride and. Um, you know, that, that made him a little more relevant for a lot of people that weren't wrestling fans. But I mean, it's just remarkable how, I mean, he was the, you know, they use this, uh, you know, no pun intended, the biggest celebrity in the world for quite some time. And, um, you know, a huge figure in, in human history, really, it's, you can't really overstate, like they, they mentioned this in the movie. He's one of those mythological figures, like, uh, who did they say? Like, um, Oh God, like Johnny Appleseed and you right, know, right. Paul like Bunyan. he's one of those, yeah, just one of those names like Andre the Giant will go down in history as this mythological figure and it, it's yeah. really cool. I'm glad they, yeah. they finally, I know Bill Simmons has been 
working on producing this documentary for, yeah, like, for like over a decade. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And finally it comes it, like it was on his original list of 30 for 30 productions and it just never got made. And mm. so HBO sports finally okayed it and they got Vince McMahon's, you know, blessing. Yeah. And, he has a, and quite interview. a reaction and he's, yeah, he's interviewed throughout and his reaction yeah. When they talk about his passing, really touching. Like he died in 1993. Yeah, you could tell he was really. First, he was like, "I just, you know, I'm someone who just blocks out any of the negative." And right. Speak. It's like a very cold there's no statement, crying but then, in wrestling. But then he's yeah. yeah, but then he's uh, he you know they press him on it and, and yeah, it gets yeah, it gets a little dusty. Um, I do want to say too with Hulk Hogan, I, I get a, I got a kick out of just how dramatic and theatrical he was. I mean, that dude yeah. is like a Broadway. I mean like it was so much performance and like his facial expressions right. and like all sitting this stuff. in like he a was, conference like, so room interview setting. <laughs> exuberant of just like it's clear that like, oh yeah, this guy is yeah, you know, he's one of the he's most He's a superstar for a reason. Know. Totally. So that is Andre the Giant. Definitely recommend checking out, even you know, neither of us are into wrestling at all anymore, but yeah, sports documentary, like really well done, only eighty five minutes and uh it's available on, you know, all HBO platforms. Well worth your out. time. Yeah. So do you want to uh lastly we're gonna Rob's gonna hit on this this new uh comedy he saw, I believe last night that I know you juiced up to uh yeah. <laughs> to uh to chat about quickly. So I am. uh yeah, what give me something on blockers. Yeah, yeah. So I uh I was gonna we were initially gonna talk about Isle of Dogs, the new Wes Anderson movie, which I also saw, and I just didn't have a ton to say about that. I, I do recommend that for people if you're a Wes Anderson fan. Uh it is a really well put together and and thought out movie and a cool story it's the stop motion animation like fantastic mr fox but yeah i didn't have a ton to say about it so i we did a little um a quick what's it called a audible here uh, and, and i saw blockers last night and this was directed by Kay cannon and it's her directorial debut um she famously wrote all three pitch perfect movies and she is, has been a writer for 30 rock and new girl so she's this really established comedy writer um you know a lot of it in television but um this is her first chance to direct a film and i think it was really really successful um it's it's like about an hour 40 minutes um it's really heartfelt uh in the end, like it has a really big emotional payoff. I, I felt and, and throughout the movie, like maybe the first 10 or 20 minutes were a little bit slow, but you know, they're establishing the characters and the story arc that we're going to watch. Um, but after that story arc, well, okay. So the story arc, well, I was going to say after that, like every five minutes, uh, there wasn't like a five minutes that I would cut out. Like it's really tightly done and there's comedy throughout the whole thing. And, I just thought it was really successful the whole way through. I never felt like, uh, you know, that was a waste of a few minutes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really enjoyed it. But the story arc is these three teenage girls who are all really, really good. Um, quickly, Catherine Newton, Geraldine Vizwanathan, and Gideon Adlin. They're, uh, they play Julie, Kayla, and Sam. They they are kind of the, the driving force of the movie. They're these three... Uh, teenage seniors in high school and they're they're basically make this pact to all lose their virginity on prom night uh yada yada they're starting to go to prom and all this stuff and they all have uh male dates and then um the parents you know see this text thread they're kind of snooping on one of their their kids computers and the parents are played by leslie mann um john cena 
who we mentioned, and another guy who I'm I'm blanking on his name. I don't have it written no down, worries. but he was really funny. Um, they they are the other side of the story. They're the ones blocking. You know, there's a there's a cock a a picture of a chicken on the on the movie poster, but it is just called blockers. But you can you know mm-hmm. it yeah, is I'll cock put two blocking two together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the story arc that we're going through. We're we're seeing them go to prom. They're they're following through on this on this pact and they're they're really exploring their sexuality and what it means to lose your virginity in this day and age and like you know just how things uh play out via social media and texting and how that you know is part of our world now and how parents respond to that and how they they deal with their kids you know just like they did 40 years ago but how sort of social media and and all those technological things are affecting that way of life now and yeah i just thought it was a really successful movie and um it actually becomes a bit of a tearjerker in the end and i won't spoil (laughs) it because i don't think a lot of people have seen this yet but um if you're on the fence about it i i would say it's well worth seeing and highly enjoyable Nice, yeah. I I do want to see it. I'll, I think it's one I'll, I'll probably movie pass. But uh, yeah. seems like you know well, it's it, duh. you know the, the, yeah right. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't. If it's not on movie pass, I ain't seen it. But um, right. yeah, oh, kidding. Of course, Quiet Place had to buy tickets in advance. So um, yeah, kind of return to the sex comedy. I, I I heard some references to like you know there was that kind of '90s boom of like movies like American Pie, something like yeah, very, like raunchy sex com- comedy for adults. Um, mm. So well, I'm it's glad cool you that this that. was made, and uh, I'm, I I think it'd be like a good good date movie. It sounds like yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because I think that is the outside perspective, like that is this raunchy like dirty comedy, but it is more of like a it's more of like a teenager comedy. Um, it's, it is rated R and has, you know, those elements, but it's not that raunchy, especially sexually, it's not that raunchy and it's handled with like a delicate touch. You know, I think the, the Kay Cannon being the director, the fact that it was a woman directing and, and sort of, uh, she made her changes to the script, um, just based on like the fact that it's three main characters are these young women and her perspective of that, you know, going through losing your virginity, uh, really, really uh came through and and she said in an interview that she wanted she's such a huge fan of john hughes and movies like the breakfast club and ferris bueller's day off pretty in pink among others and this movie is like she said she really wanted to make one of those types of movies that's it's kind of everywhere everywhereville usa it takes place in the suburbs of chicago it's super relatable to like anybody who you know has gone through high school like I, I think it's it's made more for teens than it is adults, but for people of our age, like, you know, older millennial age group, um, it's, it's you know, we're close enough removed from it that it, you feel that nostalgic sense for prom and, like, your experience with that night and that whole, like, you know, going off to college, like, the end of your high school days, and then, obviously, like, parents can relate to it from, you know, people that have experienced that or that are soon to experience it or experiencing it now like uh it it hits all those beats and in a really well done way um so yeah i was i was kind of um struck by this movie and and pretty surprised by how much i enjoyed it nice so you uh give highly recommend blockers blockers. recommended seal of approval from must go faster yes um okay i'm gonna i'm gonna hold you 
to it. Yeah. So uh, let's wrap things up now. That is it for this episode of Must Go Faster. Thanks so much, as always, to everyone for listening. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Talk to you all soon.